I'm not recording. Well, then, why are you even here? Please, please be yeah, start recording. <laughs> please be get. Please be. Right. Bye, Daniel. Bye, I'm gonna text you a couple things. But bye, happy Daniel. birthday. I love, I love Thank you. Uh, Daddy, don't forget love the movies guys. on bye. Thursday. Don't forget the movies on I Thursday. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome, Secret Movie Clubbers, to Secret Movie Club Podcast 93. We are seven away from 100. Not that anyone else is excited about that, but me, maybe. It's wonderful that we just keep on chugging. Maybe Connor, maybe Edwin, maybe Daniel. Today, we are talking about the classic 1960s movie, Band of Outsiders, French title, Band Apart, with Anna Karina, written and directed by Jean-Luc Godard, shot by amazing cinematographer Raoul Coutard, part of the French New Wave, a movie so influential that Quentin Tarantino named his production company after it. And we may even get into the history a little bit of why. Why um, we actually did a pre-show where Quentin, we found a clip of why Quentin Tarantino did that. And he talked about it. Who is with us today? Oh, hey, it's Daniel. Hey, it's me, Carnal Lloyd Cruz, the people's champion. Hello, America. It's another day, another podcast. <laughs> and my name is Craig. I'm the founder, programmer of Secret Movie Club. I couldn't possibly be as cool as Edwin, so I'm just not going to even try. But it is wonderful to have everybody here. By the time you hear this... Friday night, we are going to be doing a Hal Hartley double. If you don't know uh, Mr. Hartley, still making movies. He made these incredible movies in the 90s. He calls them their Long Island trilogy. They're basically three incredible love stories that he made at the very beginning of his career. They're very 90s films. I love them. We're showing Trust, which was the middle of that trilogy, and Simple Men on 35, which was the end of that trilogy. And Mr. Hartley was someone I always really was excited about because I just discovered him. They were showing Trust on Bravo back when Bravo showed foreign films. Bravo used to be the foreign film channel or indie film channel. And I caught the very beginning of Trust one night at midnight and I was like, what is this? And I watched it to the end and then I watched his other stuff and I hope you'll take a chance. They're incredible indie movies that if you like love stories that you can relate to that are very quirky, this is the stuff for you. Tomorrow we are doing at the Million Dollar Theater and it's going to be a great audience. We're doing F.W. Murnau's 1927 all-timer masterpiece Sunrise. If you've never seen that movie, please come see it. It's on 35. Here's your chance. The movie Palace, where for all intents and purposes, it may have showed. I should study that. And we're showing it with a 12-piece orchestra. And then uh, next week, on Wednesday, we're doing our only John Ford of March. We're doing two deep cuts, Lost Patrol and Mary Queen of Scotland. Both really important. Uh, Lost Patrol, just to show what an amazing action director John Ford was. Sometimes now in the dialogue that gets lost but Ford's approach to action was definitely one of the progenitors of what we would call the middle and now current action genre. Ford was as efficient and amazing a director of action as anything else and we're showing Mary Queen of Scotland the only movie he ever made with Catherine Hepburn with whom he had his most intense affair basically after he got married and many people theorize that that affair with Catherine Hepburn is what led him to make movies like stage coach, How Green Was My Valley, The Quiet Man, movies that really deal with sacrificing for the greater good or heartbreak because Ford eventually decided he wasn't going to leave his wife, wasn't going to leave his family, but he was in love with Hepburn and reputedly Hepburn had feelings for him the rest of their lives. So, And then Thursday,
Wednesday, we kick off our March Musical Madness series with a movie I love, Michael Winterbottom's 24-Hour Party People, starring Steve Coogan, which is all about the Manchester music scene of the 70s and 80s. If you like Joy Division, you like New Order, you like the Happy Mondays, you like all that crazy 80s dance rave synth, one of my favorite lines from the movie is like the music that taught the white man to dance. Come see 24-Hour Party People. You can find out about everything else we do at secretmovieclub.com. Write us a community at secretmovieclub.com or podcast secretmovieclub.com. Here we go again. Today, we are talking about French filmmaker Jean-Luc Godard and specifically his uh, 1964 movie Band of Outsiders. Godard, like so many filmmakers, this can't be the podcast that contains him. It's just the prologue to talking about Godard. But you can never overstate the impact that Godard had. Basically, in the 1950s, there was a wave of French film critics. Godard was one. Francois Truffaut was another. Claude Charbol was another. Alan René. And they all wrote for a French periodical called the Cahier du Cinema, which translates basically as cinema notebooks. And it was edited by a very famous film critic, Andre Bazin, who's amazing. And you should read his book on Renoir. And these young guys and gals were Agnes Varda. They were just in love with cinema. And before they could make it, they were writing about it. And much like the young Turks of the 70s, Scorsese, Hal Ashby, Francis Ford Coppola, Brian De Palma, Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, these cats really wanted to usher in a new kind of cinema. And towards the end of the 50s, they started to get their shot. Francois Truffaut made his semi-autobiographical debut, The 400 Blows, which he would later develop into a five, much like Richard Linklater's Before Sunrise series, all starring the same actor, Jean-Pierre Liaud. And Jean-Luc Godard would make a movie called Breathless or Boutou Souffle. And what's interesting about it is Boutou Souffle is essentially kind of a pulpy noir starring Jean-Paul Belmondo and American actor Gene Seberg. And it basically deals with a guy who is a petty criminal and his girlfriend across a week or a few days. He's on the run and eventually the girlfriend betrays him. But what's fascinating about the movie is that pulpy plot synopsis belies the fact that no one had ever seen a movie where you jump cut. Basically, there were all these rules in cinema. If you're going to cut to something, it's got to be a significantly different angle. You always have to do this. You got to do that. You can't show people you're crossing the line. You know, you can't let people know you're making a movie. And Jean-Luc Godard more really than any of his other French New Wave sort of compañeros was like, why can't I do that? So Jean-Luc Godard would cut in slugs of black. He would have one shot and he would just jump cut the best parts. He famously said it's not like he intentionally invented that technique. It was like he said he had this shot that was really boring, but he needed the shot for the story. And the only way he could figure out to do it because he had not shot any cutaways was to just cut to the good stuff. And by cutting to the good stuff, he sort of invented permission to do a jump cut. Jean-Luc Godard would cut to text. He would cut to shots of uh, magazines. He would cut, people would say weird things, or he'd have the sound of a lion roaring or of a woman screaming. And so he did all of this amazing stuff that would then influence Scorsese and Quentin Tarantino. Pretty much everybody, I mean, all the 70s cats, Dennis Hopper, everybody was influenced by Godard. Band Apart really quickly was a 1964 movie he made during what's usually considered his most incandescent period, which was from 58 
date to a movie he made called Weekend in 1968. He more and more became interested in communism and specifically Chinese communism. And he began to feel that his movies, which had really brought people a lot of joy and entertainment, movies like A Woman is a Woman, Band of Outsiders, Pierre Lafoe, Masculine Feminine, he began to feel that they were too commercial, too capitalistic, too Western. And after Weekend, he ditched that style entirely for a very academic semiotic style of lecturing people about why they should be Chinese communists. And uh, most of his audience said no, and they didn't follow him on that turn. But we're going to talk about his incandescent 60s period band of outsiders returns to the breathless milieu of petty criminals. The French seem to love the Jules and Jim menage a trois storyline of two guys and a girl. Here you have two criminals who meet a very beautiful woman in English class played by Anna Karina, the Godard muse and his wife at the time. And she lets go that a boarder in her house has all this money and they basically rope her into pulling off the robbery. Meanwhile, they both love her and she sort of plays one, plays the other, doesn't really want to get involved in the crime. But as with all Godard movies, that's the plot line, but that's not really what it's about. They're just all these amazing sequences and experimentation. I really like Band of Outsiders. I think Godard in general introduced me back in film school and was initially like kind of a, a difficult thing. Like I didn't quite click right away. I think I would assume 400 Blows was the first thing shown to us. That's Truffaut. Is that Truffaut? What am I? I'm mixing it up. What's his? <laughs> you f***er. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, they're all shown at the same time. It's not my fault. It's names I can't pronounce. Oh, Breathless is the one I'm thinking of because Breathless was the one the first time I watched it. I was just utterly confused by what I was intaking, which is maybe a good way to do things to ignorant film school people who think that they have a huge depth of knowledge when in reality you're just exposed to a few movies that your friends love. I think Godard's great. I would put Band of Outsiders, I'll come back to it, but Pierre Lefou is my favorite of his. But Band of Outsiders, it's a great introduction to Godard, I think, but also such a perfect little thing because it's this crime caper within this sort of foreign playground in terms of international movies. And it sort of paints something that we come into understanding about like American movies that a lot of us love in a international setting. And it kind of tricks you into working with it, even though the cultural and like the filmmaking styles are so different and kind of helps you fundamentally understand them and work with them better. I think Breathless is a weird start because it's such a different beast, but Band of Outsiders paints something that feels familiar and then gets to kind of play with you in its French aesthetic. I think this is, was my, one of my first introductions to Anna Karina, who is one of the greatest things in cinema. I don't know how else to, to state that. A joy. An icon, obviously. Just commands screen presence like few others do. Band of Outsiders is this almost effortless, which is never fair to give it. A filmmaker's always doing it, I think, intentionally. But it's so charming. And considering the subject matter, again, kind of paints this accessibility to it. I read somewhere in doing some research that it, it's considered the Godard film for people who don't care for his stuff which I think is kind of funny because to a degree, I kind of get that. It's sort of, if you showed me this and then kind of went back to Breathless, I think there's distinctions that go across the both of them, but it does feel like a different beast in a, an interesting way. Edwin. I mean, Edwin goes to the new Beverly. How many times a week do you go to the new Bev, Ed? Every week. And you're usually the first in line, right? That is correct. Yeah. yeah and would it also be correct to say that Quentin Tarantino is one of your favorite filmmakers? Yeah, 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 yeah he is. A, what did he name his production company? Uh, a Band Apart. And why did he do that? Because uh, a guy named... 
Jodard. We know that you prep for the podcast. We know you've watched the movie numerous times. We know that to understand Tarantino, you've come to understand Godard. We've we've known you've minimally watched the movie once. Well, I got home from work. I put it on. I got 20 minutes in. I fell asleep. I woke up, watched a little bit of Community. Woke up this morning, watched the rest of it. Yeah, I did. I did watch bits and pieces of it, but hey, yeah, you know, I'll give it to you. Yeah, that I'll counts, Edwin. You. That counts. I see a lot of Tarantino shots in this movie, especially the driving scenes, which are pretty interesting. And there's like a like, little dance sequence, and in, in, uh, we're in, like in the cafe or something like that. Which Tarantino used in Pulp Fiction? That's most definitely in Pulp Fiction. It's all right. It takes a while for the crime to happen. A while. The crime doesn't happen until the end of the picture. Yeah, yeah that's what that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I sense a little Reservoir Dogs, especially with the diner scenes, since they like talk for like a good while and the same thing happens in this movie a little bit i'm glad i saw it but i don't think i'm gonna watch it again but uh yeah pretty happy pretty solid picture this godar jodar godar is what i'm saying no he's just pretty good guy. why would you pronounce the g as a j i don't know i thought i thought hey <laughs> there are people named jeff <laughs> jeff you're jeff connor edwin that's great you saw it by the way i mean a lot of people you can love tarantino and not love godard there's not like you have to buy into both it's not a two-for-one package we played tarantino talking about why band apart was so influential and interestingly it would actually go to some of the things you said he said that they were doing a godard festival in south bay somewhere and he was like well i got to give this guy his fair shake and he went and he saw a band of outsiders and he said he liked it but he not necessarily loved it but he really liked it and the thing that was most influential was what you commented on all the shots where people are in a car and the camera's just in the back and he said oh I could make movies like if that counts as a shot then you know I don't have to be insecure or nervous that I'm not John Ford I don't know how to compose like he didn't say John Ford but he just said I didn't I didn't have to sweat that if I could just put the camera on a car and have people talking then Tarantino said I could do that and he said what really moved him was that then he read a Pauline Kale article afterwards where Pauline Kale said Band of Outsiders is a noir about all the things that happen in between what normally happens in a noir or normally happens in a crime movie and he said it was reading Pauline Kale article that made him realize the kind of movies he wanted to make. So he said, weirdly, reading the Pauline Kael article about Band of Outsiders is really what influenced him and inspired him the most to become a filmmaker. And since Tarantino really approaches movie making, I think first as a film critic, I think he's actually said this. He reverse engineers his movies. He writes first as a critic, then writes the screenplay, then makes the movie. It was actually a real insight into Tarantino's process. So for whatever that's worth, Connor, what do you think of Band Apart? I wish I had a more like passionate opinion about it. I thought it was, you know, <laughs> I mean, like I wish I could come here and be like, it stinks. I think that would be better for the podcast. I thought it was all right. I've seen a few Godard films. I find the French New Wave, and we'll maybe talk about this broadly at a later point. Uh, it leaves me a little cold sometimes. I think I like Truffaut a little more. I feel like Truffaut has a little more heart. He is for sure the warmer filmmaker. And Godard is more about the experimentation, which I definitely appreciate. And like, God bless him. Like, I'm not going to kick him out of bed. You know what I mean? If he was here, I'd, I'd suck his... Uh... <laughs> what? <laughs> but he's like 90. Do you mean that? Yeah. <laughs> French New Wave is like a very film school type of thing. So it's one of those things where I wonder if it was kind of ruined for me because of how it was presented to me. It also, when I was watching Band of Outsiders, um, when I was in college, I ran this student television show that went through a lot of different kind of forms. But one of them was where people would submit short films 
to us, like student short films, and we have to watch them and choose, you know, the best of them and put them in. And I was definitely, while watching Band of Outsiders, I was sometimes, for better or for worse, reminded of my time watching some of those short films. There was like a youthfulness, which was the good part of it. But then there was also parts of it where I'm like, hmm, <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't I don't know what this is. Now, I actually love good. It's very funny. I tend to normally gravitate towards the warm humanist filmmakers. And you would think that Truffaut would be the person of the French New Wave that I would respond to. But it is actually Godard for me. And I don't know if Alan René is considered French New Wave. He did Hiroshima Monomore, which is like mind blowing to me. He's definitely of that era. But whenever I watch Godard movies, the more I watch them, the more I'm made aware that he's not really that interested in the story per se. In fact, I think he actively is creating attention against the story because when you watch Band of Outsiders, you know, you could think about it in the hands of a different screenwriter. Like, think how you would write that story, which is two guys fall in love with this woman. She reveals that there's a lot of money at her place. You could tell a hell of a story there. It reminded me a lot of, obviously not the exact same story, but it reminded me a lot of Bottle Rocket. Or I guess I should say Bottle Rocket reminds me of it. No, totally. And you could see, like, is she playing them? Are they playing her? You could go in any number of directions with the tension. It could be Hitchcockian. You could do a pulpy and noir You could do an erotic thriller. I mean, whatever. But what Godard does in Band of Outsiders is he's kind of constantly creating scenes where you're like, I can't believe this is happening. The most famous and something that so many filmmakers have copied, it's already Edwin already hinted at it, is in the middle of the movie, they're all at a cafe and they all get up, no explanation, and they all start doing this clearly choreographed dance. And then suddenly the sound cuts out and Godard starts narrating what each of them is thinking. And while he's narrating what each of them is thinking, he'll sometimes stop narrating. It'll go back to the music. Then you can tell he just kept the shot going because one of the actors drops out. Then another actor drops out. And then it's just Anna Karina doing the dance. But to me, that scene, that's the essence of why he's inspiring to me, because you don't necessarily have to make a Godard movie to take bits and pieces of what he does and apply it to your filmmaking. And I think the idea that, oh, I could drop in narration I'm like an omniscient narrator about anything at that moment, or I could have a scene that has nothing to do with the main thrust of the plot. And yet maybe will like to me, what I would argue is that what Godard did for filmmakers was give them permission to experiment again. Give them permission to understand that cinema is a medium. You know, like Connor, you and I were doing a podcast and we did radio shows and that's a medium. TV is a medium, just the same way that the novel's a medium or whatever. And what happens is these rules happen and then people just sort of unconsciously always follow the rules and it takes somebody usually someone really young and somebody who wasn't taught the rules to do something and then everyone's like oh i didn't know you could do that (laughs) and everyone's like why weren't we doing that for the last 10 years and i think that godard is that kind of cat where you're like oh i didn't know i could just have an omniscient narrator who talks about what everyone's thinking and then talks about newspaper articles or whatever so that's me is what i love about godard but do you think that kind of experimentation is something you'd ever want to do or is that not for you yeah maybe not quite as like formal on a story level but i love like the visual stylistic experimentation of course 
that's the stuff I think I get the most from French New Wave filmmakers is that experimentation. And I, I, I've always enjoyed that aspect a lot. In a weird level, I don't see him as a you know, as a real filmmaker. I mean, I, I don't know how stupid to say. Throughout the things he's made, it's almost like he just makes movies because he's bored. That's what I see. But I know he's like part of the French New Way. He made lots of great movies, but I don't know. He just, he's kind of like Andy Warhol where he just like makes art and it's like, Here's my masterpiece. Edwin, I think that's a very insightful, profound comment. Like Connor was saying, and like you're saying, you couldn't show Band of Outsiders to, you know, your uncle. Like my LAPD homicide detective uncle, if I showed him Godard, he'd probably politely be like, ah, sorry, I'm 65 <laughs> and I just don't really want to watch this. But if I put on Goodfellas, Uncle Steve is all in. If I put on Godfather Part 2, Uncle Steve is all in. So, <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's very funny. So, Godard's not the kind of movie maker that's going to bring the family together at Thanksgiving. Many people cite Godard as almost like the second rebirth of cinema, or third or fourth or fifth. There are these benchmark moments, Citizen Kane, and then Godard is often considered another benchmark because the way he edited, the way he played with film and sound, but he's also very divisive. Bergman famously said he thought Godard was a sterile cuckoo. So, like, there are definitely people who didn't get him. I love that, though. Often when you're presented with stuff like this, you attach that value of what it meant to the world of filmmaking at the time, and it creates an almost unattainable level of connection to the product. You're told about Godard and how important he was, and sometimes it's difficult to watch it because you can't take it in on your own anymore. Now you have these views of how important it was which is so challenging as an audience member. I think it works to a degree because his stuff differentiates between his projects so much. There's these clear distinguishing trademarks that he's known for, but things feel very different as you jump from project to project. So he's one of those directors I found that if you don't vibe with something, you may vibe with something else, which in some director's cases, I don't think that's the case. I think if you don't really vibe with one of it, it may not be for you. But he sort of jumps around in his styles in enough of a way that it works from. I've always associated him with very like cartoony, in color, but also in the way he allows his bigger sort of set pieces when they're there to come from feel very much organized in the same way old cartoons were that I think is very interesting. In terms of like playing with speed and playing with these wide shots that let people run around, it has like this almost slapstick nature sometimes, that especially in that era, feel really interesting. I assume pans back more to like Buster Keaton or something. Beyond that style, the colors, especially in something like Pierre LeFou, Super bright, super primary stuff. Always connected that back to me. So when I think about him, I think less of his black and white stuff and more of those colors, even though his black and white stuff is also super distinctive. Godard made a number of interesting movies that we should just touch on. One we haven't talked about is Contempt. Contempt had the typical self-referential. Godard also, in many ways, and Truffaut and the French New Wave, they're the grandfathers at this point or the grandparents of making movies about movies. They would have homages to shots. They would have characters named after film directors. They would wear their cinema love on their sleeve. And this is something that Scorsese and Spielberg and really most notably Tarantino 
they would just embrace completely. You know, Tarantino so much so that he would just recreate scenes. I remember seeing Kill Bill and the scene where Daryl Hannah tries to kill Uma Thurman in split screen. I was like, he's just doing De Palma's scene from Sisters. And that was like the point of that scene, I guess, was to be like, I love Sisters and I love <laughs> this approach. And Tarantino probably rightfully guessed that a lot of people had never seen Sisters. But in Contempt, I guess what I'm trying to get at is Godard did this crazy thing where he's telling one movie and then he stops the movie for an hour to get into the dissolution of a marriage in one room. And that structure was taken by Scorsese in Casino. And you're watching this movie about casinos. And then suddenly for an hour, you're watching the dissolution of a marriage. So it's funny to see how he's influenced folks. Did you guys see any of Godard's later stuff like Alphaville, Masculine, Feminine, Weekend, where he starts to really let La Chinois two or three things I know about or where he starts to really lean heavy into Mao and Chinese communism. I've always seen Sympathy for the Devil. Well, that's one. I've only other also seen Breathless. Godard, what happened, and you know, he was entitled to do it, of course. I mean, every filmmaker is entitled to grow and go where they want to go. They don't have to keep making the hits, you know, and Godard certainly didn't have that personality. He was going to go where he was going to go. He became more and more politically engaged, more and more against the Vietnam War, more against what he viewed as capitalist hypocrisy to the point where he eventually just jettisoned. He thought story was bourgeois eventually. <laughs> and like, just was like, I'm not going to tell a story anymore. I'm going to do what essentially would be like communist academic classes of didacticism that were like trying to create new communists or I, I don't know. I, I didn't go with it because I'm an American. And uh, I was like, no, sorry, buddy. I'm open-minded. I'm as open-minded as the next person, but I don't need you to tell me that Mao was great when Mao killed six million of his own country people. I'm not going to idolize a mass murder. By the way, that's not to say that the scales are on my eyes about our mass murder of Native Americans or our hypocrisies. I try to see it all and be honest about all of our histories, but I wasn't going to idolize Mao. That's all I'm saying. What you talked about, Ed, when his documentary about the Rolling Stones has people in the jungle shouting about communism and about being communist rebels. It's known as either one plus one or sympathy for the devil. What do you think about that? I wish it was more about the Rolling Stones. <laughs> not the other stuff. Yeah. I, I kind of wish it stuck with that, but no, it had to go back and forth. And I feel like it's not really about the Rolling Stone. I feel like that this is a cover. Like, hey, can you just shoot this while I shoot through this other movie as well? I just really wish Goldeneye would just make that Rolling Stone documentary because that was pretty cool. It was. I love it. When it cuts to people in a junkyard of cars rambling about communism. I mean, and forgive me, I don't want to be dismissive. Obviously, he was feeling very engaged and he wanted to get to that. But I, that's not for me. I don't think that's what cinema is. I don't need someone to lecture me about their politics. Either way, by the way, on any side, you know, when Michael Bay does a Benghazi movie, you know, I'm, I'm just as not interested in that as I'm not interested in Godard yelling at me about Mao. But the Rolling Stone stuff is dynamite. That tracking shot he has that shows how the song started as a slow samba song that Mick Jagger wrote. And then Keith Richards comes in and he's like, what if I do this to it, Mick? And he like plugs in the electric guitar and totally creates that dynamite riff. And suddenly it like picks up tempo, picks up tempo. And you see how that song was written. I love that stuff. That stuff is priceless. Is there anywhere we can make our own cut where we take out all that crap? Fan edited, homie. That will have fan edited because we don't need that crap. We just want to see Rolling Stones and the making of a fucking masterpiece in the making. Godard is in Switzerland right now. He's like feeling our yeah, vibes, get, get, cursing get, get, us. Get him on the phone. Get Goldard on the phone. <laughs> let, me, let me talk to him. Hey, like, hey, Goldard, 
Hey, Godar, bro. Bonjour. Godar, you can suck him. <laughs> hey, your movie sucked, man. We want to see Rolling Stones, bro. Not. Yeah, no, you can suck communist. Actually, he didn't. That's unfair to him. Godard actually had a third period where he came out of that and made a whole host of movies in the 80s, 90s, and aughts. Can you really call those movies? Because I'm looking at IMDb, all I see is shorts, shorts, shorts. He definitely moved into a third form, which you would have to call the film essay. It's sort of like what Orson Welles did with F is for Fake. But one of them, Elegy to Love, is brilliant. I think as good as anything he did. And he did, like, mellow, weirdly. He did sort of come back to, well, wait, I do love cinema and I do love experimenting with cinema. So Godard has a resting arc. He always followed his muse and followed his passion. And, and uh, please, Mr. Godard, forgive me for that horrible impersonation of you and my horrible French. Pop culture and final thoughts. I have nothing this week. I'll just say that I forgot to make my hilarious joke earlier where I was going to be like, I thought we were talking about Jean-Luc Picard. <laughs> I just watched a bunch of Star Trek episodes. <laughs> Anyways, you can find me at twitch.tv slash Connor Cruz. I recently watched uh, Mini and Moskowitz for the first time ever at the Los Feliz 3. You could have seen it here at wow. Secret Movie Club yeah. two months ago. Yeah, I know. Three months yeah, I know. ago. I, I was on probably yeah, I the same I, I, 35 millimeter print they used, Edwin. Yeah, yeah, it is. It was. Okay, look, I had obligations to fulfill, all right? What do you think of Minnie and Moskowitz? I thought it was the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life, and uh, probably the warmest Casavetti movie I've ever seen in my life. And I noticed all those cuts that the studio made that are in that movie. Because there were so many longer scenes involved, but cut in a very weird way. I didn't care. I love the either way. Probably one of the best scenes I ever saw. I also saw uh, Premium Rush for like the third time. Loved it. Die Hard on Wheels, as I call it, because that's the vibe I got of it. And I saw the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre sequel reboot, whatever the f*** you call it. I just want to say, um, for those who are film horror fans, slasher fans, don't watch trash on that Netflix trash, because if you want to see a real horror movie, just watch the 1974 classic. Edwin Gomez, straight shooter, mentored by John McCain, straight talk express. I've always said that Edwin was a maverick. Oh, totally. And sometimes he goes rogue. I watched Steven Soderbergh's new film, Kimmy, on HBO Max. I was thinking about it and writing about it, and we really take Soderbergh for granted. I may have mentioned this before. We just screened out of sight. But Soderbergh is just casually dropping these tightly directed, immaculately cut, like under 90 minute thrillers in the De Palma vein, as if it's nothing, it feels like. He's had this kind of wild run of the last 10 years. And then the last like five years just drops like a movie a year on Netflix to like no fanfare. I feel like they have to look for them. And it's kind of great. It's Zoe Kravitz. And it's basically the conversation if it dealt with modern sort of smart home aesthetics. It's very good, and it's like 89 minutes or something. It's killer. Like, what an insane thing to just casually drop on the world. And the other thing is, every February 22nd, as is custom, we watch Hot Fuzz in this house. That doesn't change this year. Greatest motion picture of all time, as Edwin would say. Actually, Edwin, can you give me a... Can you say your thing so I can copy it? Wait, actually, I'll just try. It's the greatest motion picture of all time. Daniel, you just butchered the greatest line I've ever seen in my life. The greatest line of all time. Hey, you're welcome for the hot fuzz post. I saw, it, I saw it at the New Bev days before <laughs> the global pandemic closed everything down on 35 millimeter film print. Damn your damn birthday. Happy birthday, Daniel. Happy birthday, Daniel. Thank you. I'm finishing up an autobiography by Mike Metavoy, a very famous, one of the most famous studio execs called You're Only As Good As Your Next One. 
Metavoy is really one of those fascinating Hollywood folks that if you're not sort of an inside baseball Hollywood person, you probably wouldn't know him. But he started as an agent. He famously dumped Steven Spielberg <laughs> because Steven Spielberg wouldn't leave Universal. And Metavoy said one of the biggest mistakes of his life. But they got together to make Hook years later when Metavoy was running TriStar, which I found out Hook actually made $50 million profit. A lot of people talk about Hook being a bomb, and that turns out to be absolutely not correct. Creatively, whatever you think about it. But Metavoy has realized to make his mark as an agent, he should become the agent of the young directors. So he became the agent of George Lucas, of John Milius, of Hal Ashby. He shepherded their careers. Then he was brought on to be a chairman at United Artists during United Artists' incredible run, where they did things like Apocalypse Now and Coming Home and Rocky and New York, New York and Raging Bull. Metavoy was mentored by these two guys that no one talks about anymore. And now I have this tremendous appreciation for him. Arthur Krim and Eric Pleskow, who were the co-chairman of United Artists. And it was really moving. Now, I don't know if this is true. I've got to do more historical research. But the point that Metavoy makes, and then just really quickly, all these guys left UA and they formed Orion. Orion would go on to do like Platoon and Total Recall and Terminator, all of these amazing movies, all the Woody Allen movies of the 80s. Then Metavoy would run TriStar, where he would do Bugsy. And then he would leave and do Phoenix Pictures and do The Thin red line, the people versus Larry Flint and Zodiac. So like Metavoy has a pretty deep resume, pretty impressive. But the thing he talks about with Arthur Krim and Eric Pleskow, and I guess I'll leave it here, is that if they told you they were going to do something or they made a deal with you, you knew you could trust it. And he said he stuck with them for as long as he did because he enjoyed working for them. They had a very simple process for green lighting movies. Basically, it was five elements. Who's the cast? What's the script? Who's the director? Who's the producer? You know, that's the package and what's the budget? Those were the five. And if they liked the five, they would all sit down. And if a majority said, let's do it, they would okay it. And they would let the movie maker make their movie. They were the ones that gave Stallone a chance on Rocky. They were the ones that came in to help Coppola on Apocalypse Now. And a lot of people talked about Arthur Krim and Eric Pleskow and how they ran differently than the normal paranoid, everyone just on the make, what makes Sammy run all about Eve, paranoid, unloyal, untrustworthy, backbiting, cocaine, whatever you want to say about Hollywood. And I just thought I was like, not to be pie in the sky, but I just thought, you know, why can't you (laughs) run a business? based on integrity. I mean, and by the way, sound business principles, they had business principles, but people wanted to work for them because also they didn't cook their books. That was the other thing. The filmmakers got points and they made money. If they said you have 10% on the back end, the books they had and the books they showed the filmmakers were the same. I just, I'm really thinking about that. I'm sure everyone's laughing at me who's made a career in Hollywood and is like, yeah, buddy. But I was moved by it. So there you go. That's all the time we have for today. Next week, Secret Movie Club Podcast 94. We are going to be talking about the hilarious documentary American movie about Mark Borchardt and his uh, friend Mike Shank as uh, Mark tries his quixotic dream to make a feature film, which we all share. We're also going to talk about documentaries. As always, this was edited by Connor Lloyd Cruz, our chief creative content officer. You can reach out to us at community at secretmovieclub.com or just see everything we're doing at secretmovieclub.com. Come join us tonight. We are going to be showing a Hal Hartley double tomorrow. Saturday. We're going to be doing FW Murnau Sunrise. Thank you, guys. It's always a joy to talk to you. Have a great week. I love you, family.
five seconds of cosmic unity here, guys. Feel the oneness within and without. And realize and transcend there is no within and without. You're killing the vibe, man. <laughs> what vibe was there that I killed? You're harshing my <laughs> buzz. Yeah. When I, when I lived in Prague, there were these two ladies, and they invited me to smoke hash with them on the roof. And at that time, I was just trying alcohol and cigarettes. I've, to this day, never smoked hash. But I was like, well, can I just come up and hang with you guys? I don't smoke hash. And they were like... No. <laughs> Damn, man. That's a bummer, bro. <laughs> and they were like, and they said that. They were like, you would harsh our buzz. <laughs> and then I looked back on that years later, and I was like, what would have happened if I'd gone up on the roof with those two ladies and smoked hash? But I was a nerd. Hey, man, you would it would have been another Midnight Express, you man. <laughs> I would have been put in a Turkish prison. Red Shoe Diaries. <laughs> yeah, I like Connor's take more than yours, Edwin. <laughs> I think what would have happened is I probably would have like Passed smoked out. the hash and having never smoked it before, <laughs> yeah, like had no idea how to and react. You, you wake up without your your pants <laughs> or your wallet. 